He shall judge between the nations. He shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Excuse my emotion. Those are beautiful words. Memorial weekend is a time of, uh, that means different things to different people, doesn't it? For most kids, it means school's out or school's almost out. I remember those days when it just seemed like the days of summer stretched with endless possibilities before you. It was so wonderful. Then we get to be older and become adults and we realize, well, it's a three-day weekend and that's pretty good too. I think some of us think, well, Memorial Day is a time to pull out the RV or the boat, go to the beach, time to take a vacation, invite people over for a barbecue maybe. It's a holiday, isn't it? And holidays are meant to celebrate. For some, however, though, Memorial Time Memorial Day is a day when our hearts break wide open again, right? Where memories of loved ones are shared and remembered and grief becomes fresh once again. Although we celebrate Memorial Day as a holiday, it's really not, is it? It's a day of mourning. It's a day we remember and honor those who have died in service to our nation. Those people who gave everything They're the best of us, aren't they? They're killed in something that represents the worst of us. War. Brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters all gone before their time. Some chose to go to war and others had no choice, but in all cases, they gave their lives. So we remember Memorial Day has only been an official holiday since 1971, which surprised me, but we've celebrated it a a lot longer than that. And when I looked into its origins to see, well, where did it start? Many states say, well, no, it started in our state. But most people believe that it started probably in Mississippi, of all places, when a group of women went out to a cemetery to put flowers on the graves of their loved ones who had died in the Civil War. And while they were laying down the flowers, they noticed some other graves that were unkempt. Weeds had grown up. Nobody seemed to be taking care of them. And they went over to look, and they were amazed when they saw these were graves of Union soldiers. Well, they started feeling terrible about it, and they they decided, well, we're going to decorate them as well. We're going to clean them up. And then... One woman said, you know, it doesn't matter if they were the enemy or not. They're still somebody's beloved. And right then and there, they decided to start a memorial association, they called it. And their charter said that they were to perpetuate in an honorable manner the memory of all the gallant dead. They said, we are willing to do all we can to stem the tide of bitterness and angry feelings. We will practice and teach forbearance and patience, which must finally bring justice and peace 
Isn't this a great story? These women who decided to honor those who gave their life for everything to work for justice and peace. And anyone who's ever seen war, well, longs for peace. No one more than the soldier. Douglas Douglas MacArthur famously said, you know, it's the soldier who must suffer the deepest wounds and bear the scars of war. So it's the soldier who, above all, prays for peace. We all long for it, don't we? Now, peace is a word I think we bandy around quite freely, don't we? I mean, if you were anywhere around in the 60s, peace man. And uh, (laughs) we talk about uh, peace on earth. Political ads are full of the word peace, usually accusing the other party of not wanting peace. And then we use it for our own personal thing too, right? It's like, can you just leave me alone for five seconds? Could I just get peace for five seconds? We speak about Christ, Christ as the Prince of Peace. Because I think someday, somewhere deep down inside us, we sing about peace at Christmas time because we realize that God is somehow about peace, don't we? But what is peace, really? Is it just the absence of conflict, um, choosing nonviolence over pa- and choosing pacifism? the freedom to live and choose to do whatever I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anyone else? What is peace, really? It's a hard word to define. If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll get uh, a lot of different answers. And you ask 10 people, I guarantee you're going to get 10 different answers of what they think peace is. What do we mean when we say we pray for peace? Our text for today from the prophet Isaiah gives us a beautiful picture of peace, doesn't it? I mean, it is beloved text, not only found in Isaiah, by the way, but also found in the book of Micah, word for word. It's such a well-known text that music has been written about it, sculptures have been done in its honor. And if you go to the United Nations in New York, you might be surprised to find in front of there is a wall carved with the words that are in the last verse that we just read. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their, their uh, spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's a beautiful image of God's kingdom. Reconciliation with God, seeing our creator face to face and living in everlasting peace. And if you're like me, you think, well, that's really great. I can't wait. Come, Lord Jesus, let's go. But it's off in the future, right? So in the meantime, we wait and we hope and we pray. And we live our lives longing and wishing for that great day when all tears will be dried and death will be no more and God will dwell among us. We hope for that day that our tanks and guns will be used to create farming tools so that all may eat and be satisfied. We wait, we wait for that day where we can no longer learn war, but yet instead sit at the feet of God and learn peace. It will come someday, we think. And that's the problem, you see. As Christians, when we read about this vision from Isaiah, well, we... 
don't think it has any meaning for us other than this pretty little exclamation point at the end of history, right? How does it possibly apply to us today? I think it's because we think of peace as a noun. It is or it isn't. We have peace or we do not have peace. But the Hebrew conception of peace, the word that is used over 500 times in the Bible, means so much more. You see, it's not just a noun. It's also a verb. It is the vision of the perfect kingdom, but it also is what we're called to be, called to receive and called to live into. It's the word shalom. Shalom is a holistic word. It it means completeness or fullness or wholeness. One with shalom has everything that they need to live a full and good life. Shalom is not just the absence of war. It's, It's the completeness of God, of all God's good. It's back to the Garden of Eden, perfection. Shalom is inseparable from righteousness, standing right with God and with our neighbor, and also with justice. It's corporate, meaning all of us, and it's personal. And it includes prosperity for all creation. It's all about love. It's what the world is supposed to look like. It is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is shalom. Shalom is how Jesus lived, and it's at the heart of his message. In his first public statement, Jesus pronounced shalom, did he not? He said, I came, I come to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, and let the oppressed go free. Shalom as an action. But then he called on us to do the same, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that make shalom, is what Jesus is saying, for they are God's children. We are to live into that vision of Isaiah, you see, not just think it's beautiful. Live into it. Jesus didn't say blessed are the peace wishers or peace hopers or peace dreamers or peace talkers. No, he said the peacemakers. Peace has to be made. Peace never happens by choice. A peacemaker is never passive, you see. When World War I started, the president of Columbia University sent out a questionnaire to all the faculty saying, what are you going to do to help the war effort? And one professor replied back and said, I'm going to mind my own business. Well, the president wrote him back and said, that's all well and good in most circumstances, but that's not what being a peacemaker is. Peacemakers don't avoid strife and they don't just alone quietly in peace. They actively work to bring about peace, to overcome evil with good. They don't look to appease people. They, they look to build bridges. And they don't sit by When others are being oppressed or marginalized, they speak up. They seek to restore shalom. And it's 
not easy. Not at all easy. Benjamin Franklin famously said to John Adams, blessed are the peacemakers, as I suppose for a different world. In this world, they're frequently cursed. We all know how true that is, don't we? I mean, Jesus was put on a cross and crucified for speaking shalom, as have many who have followed him. People like Peter and Paul and James and most of the apostles. Speaking peace, making shalom, it's not for the faint of heart, you see. It takes extreme courage. In the early 5th century, the bishop of Cyrus, whose name was, I'm going to get this right, Theodoret, records a story in his famous uh, ecclesiastical history. He tells a story of someone named Saint Telemachus. Telemachus was born in the 4th century, and he was a pretty rough-and-tumble guy. He liked to party. Went everywhere did a lot of stuff, and somewhere along the way had a conversion experience and decided, well, he was going to become a monk because that's what he thought he needed to do. So he went and he established himself in the monastery and lived quietly in peace, raising a garden for the kitchen and praying and studying. One day while he was praying, he felt like God said to him, I want you to go to Rome Rome was the busiest, biggest city in the empire, and frankly, Telemachus did not want to go to Rome, so he thought he must be mistaken, so he continued praying, and he felt, no, God is telling me, go to Rome. He had no idea why he was supposed to go, but he packed up everything he had. The small man put everything on his back and set out on the road to Rome a long journey. By the time he got there, he was thinner than he had started. And when he arrived in Rome, the whole city was in this big uproar. Everybody was having a celebration, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. He was walking around and said to somebody, what it, what's going on here? What? They said, haven't you heard? The Romans have defeated the Goths. It's a celebration, he said, and in, in fact, the emperor... Sorry about that. My mic is going nuts. The emperor honorarius has ordered us, uh, ordered a circus for us at the Colosseum, so that we might be entertained and celebrate. Everyone was so excited, and Telmox had no idea what was what he was doing. He just sort of followed the crowd, and he ended up in the Colosseum. As he sat there, he had heard about the games that were played in the Colosseum, the circus, but he'd never really seen one, and he was pretty frightened. He wasn't sure what to expect, but when all of a sudden these gladiators came out and began to fight each other, Telemachus was horrified. He was horrified. And he sat there and he said, I, I don't want to watch this. I, I can't watch this, but not only do I want, not want to watch I can't leave. This is wrong. So this little tiny man stood up loudly and said, In the name of Jesus Christ, stop! Nobody even listened to him. 
Maybe they couldn't hear him. The noise was so loud, and people were cheering. They were in a bloodthirsty ecstasy at that point, waiting to see what would happen. In the name of Jesus Christ, stop, he yelled. Finally, since no one was listening, this little man ran down the steps of the Colosseum, jumped over the wall and onto the Colosseum floor. And he began running towards the gladiators. Well, the gladiators were a little stunned to see this little man in monk's robes running towards them. And they stopped for a minute and looked at him like, what in the world are you doing? The entire time, Telemachus is screaming, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop! Well, one of the gladiators thought it was pretty funny, and he began laughing and kind of took a swipe at Telemachus, and the crowd thought that this must be part of the act. They all laughed, urging them on, and pretty soon all the gladiators are chasing this little man around the arena, and the whole time this little man is screaming, In the name of Jesus Christ, stop. Finally, the gladiators got a little tired of this going on, and one of them ran a sword right through Telemachus. And as he lay on the floor, bleeding on the sand and the dirt, he was still yelling, In the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And then a really funny thing happened. Silence. Total silence reigned in the Colosseum according to the history. And then one person stood up and walked out. And another person stood up and walked out. And then another and another and another until finally the emperor stood up and walked out. It was as if the sight of this broken little man lying on the floor of a filthy coliseum was too much for them to bear. The history says that within an hour, the emperor had put out an edict banning all future war games in the coliseum. Year 404. They still had other hunting things and stuff, but no more murder. Nothing all because a little man stood up and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop, stop. I think it's important for us, as children of God, to hear the story of Telemachus. See, because although peacemaking will not look like that for most of us, although it will occur mostly in the ordinary, everyday things in our lives and the relationships and the places we meet people. Sometimes we need to be willing to speak up. We need to be willing to look at things and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. My friends, we live in a country that is divided. We have people pointing fingers at each other, shouting, I'm right, you're wrong. Someone needs to stand between them and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to create shalom? 
It's not saying they're right. And it's not saying they're wrong. It's saying, how can we fix this? How can I speak to you? And how can you speak to me so that we might listen and understand each other? Shalom. Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit guide us? Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit guide us to speak peace in our families? Peace in our communities. Peace in a world where division, hatred, and retribution seem to be the norm. Are we willing to speak peace when people turn a blind eye to injustice and oppression because it doesn't affect them? Are we willing to stand up and say in the name of Jesus Christ, stop? See, because that's what we're called to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, says Jesus. Act peace, speak peace, individually and as a church. It may be hard, but guess what? We're not doing it alone. See, because God, who is peace, is working in us and with us to bring about shalom. And with God's help, you see, every time we speak peace, every time we stand up, we make a little inroad in violence and war. And we get a little glimpse of that kingdom that Isaiah saw, just a tiny glimmer of it. We can see those swords being pounded into plowshares. We can see the kingdom. Shalom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.